Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. Okay, welcome everybody to episode 20 of the Retro Disney World Podcast. This episode is titled America on Parade, where we're going to take you back to one of the uh, parades that was done in the Magic Kingdom to celebrate the country's bicentennial. Um, And uh, with me as always tonight is JT Couser. How's it going, JT? Good, Todd. How you doing? Pretty good. Can't complain. Good. Mr. My- Brian P. Miles from the City of Brotherly Love in Philadelphia. I added that in for you this month, Brian. Absolutely. You've shortened my introduction. Hello, everybody. <laughs> and last but not least, uh, we have Hal Bowers. How's it going tonight, Hal? Aloha. Uh, doing good. Doing good. Drying out? Yes. Is that about my drinking? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the rain, the rain. The rain yes, the yes. Rain. We had that hurricane or tropical uh, storm. Colin. Colin. Sorry. Colin came through. All right. So before we get into uh, all the other areas, we actually always go through the corrections and comments. And uh, we're going to kind of mold that right into the listener mail as well. We got a lot of comments and um, not only some corrections, but some different things to talk about. So this is going to kind of all be... Uh, pushed into one little segment here but we've got a lot to go through first of all i, I have a personal uh, a comment here and a correction uh last month we we read from my parents uh, or my mother's uh, travel journal and i mentioned it was september 11th 1972 uh that threw a couple people for um for a loop and what we mentioned in last month's episode was that that was the date september 11th 1972 that the uh, grand prix raceway was was ripped apart um, however, if you look at satellite or aerial photography from the time, that's that's correct. So flipping back through my mother's diary, I realized that despite the title saying 1972 in the beginning, uh, about 40 pages in, we're in this diary, there's a title page that says The Bahamas and Disney World 1973, September 5th through September 12th. So it was indeed September 11th, 1973 that the um, Grand Prix Raceway was ripped up. So. Well, we, we we didn't want to say nothing, Todd. I I know you guys you guys picked up on it. Yeah, <laughs> could have edited that out. Save me all this breath. So, so thanks to our astute listeners uh, for calling that out. But um, uh, all right, so let's move on to the uh, next area here of uh, different corrections we received. We got a bunch from the for the kitchen cabaret. That was a couple months ago, a couple episodes ago. Um, JT, what did we what did we get on that? Well, the first one uh, is from Scott Marchino. Marchino, he uh, actually, I love that he addresses this directly to how, like you're the <laughs> god of kitchen cabaret, the creator, the everything. Uh, he says he thinks Mr. Mayo at one point was a jar of spaghetti sauce and barbecue sauce was something green. Uh, any any info on that, or was it just paint that was on the shelf that day? No, that is that is actually accurate. So. 
Oh, um, what I did not mention is when uh, Kraft ceased the sponsorship and Nestle took over, there is a brief period of time uh, prior to Food Rocks when Kitchen Cabaret uh, ran. <clears throat> and as we talked about, uh, those products were painted specifically to look like Kraft mayonnaise and things. So after Nestle took over, they actually repainted just the kitchen crack pots to look like generic things like spaghetti sauce and a couple of uh, other items. So it didn't have that direct craft representation anymore. So he is totally right. And for those those at home, if you have your kitchen cabaret timeline up on the wall, you can go insert that <laughs> at the appropriate date. <laughs> so, well, Did Scott, you say for- kitchen crack pot? The kitchen crack pots. Crack pot, that yeah. was the name of the band. Oh, okay. okay. And just that Sorry. played in the center there. All right. I know. Uh, nerd, so Scott. Nerd. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. Appreciate that. Yeah, that yeah, the, most awesome. sig- the most significant thing about the change in sponsors there was that the uh, when Nestle started to sponsor it, uh, they started the station down in the food court where uh, kids could make their own Nestle Toll House chocolate chip cookies. What? Yeah, that was there was a whole cookie making station, and they you would mix up the the thing, and then they'd bake it in the oven, and you'd make your own chocolate chip cookies. Wow, they had like a whole there. Yeah, well, yeah, they had like it was like a whole program where kids got in the little chef hat and a apron. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, very cool. And saves money on labor. Absolutely, absolutely. (laughs) Make the kids do it. Well, next one we got was from Reese, and she had something uh, she found at her grandparents' house. She sent us a picture of it. Did you get a chance to see that, anybody? It was Mr. Tomato, I believe. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. that's. I was just seeing, yeah. Um, she had any idea what it would be, or would it just be named Tomato? So that was officially Mr. Tomato. Yeah, just sent us a picture of the plush of Mr. Tomato. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it looks like from her email, her... Uh, she had it at her grandma and grandfather's house and uh, came across the item, but his, her grandfather couldn't recall what it was. So, yes, it was Mr. Tomato. It was a plush toy that you could buy at the shop at the end of the kitchen cabaret. How, how what was the name of the shop again? Oh, uh, Broccoli and Company. Broccoli and Company, that's it. <laughs> Which, of so course, we, I know off the top of my head for no apparent reason. Well, well come on. Scott addressed the first one to how. Yeah. I, I went directly to you for this one. This is a, a video chat. If you look behind how, it is just a flurry of kitchen cabaret items behind him. Including just, the timeline. Yeah, and the that's timeline right. on the wall. It looks like when you when they have those TV shows where you walk into like a, silo, a serial killer's lair and there's like yeah, pictures and maps and like strings. That's exactly what it looks like. That's right. Except in this case, how it's cereal C E. All right, Very with that, good. let's let's move. Let's go back off to of Kitchen Cabaret. Yeah, we have to go off of Kitchen Cabaret. So- <laughs> the puns never stop with Kitchen Cabaret. I love it so much. <laughs> Brian's clapping to himself right now. <laughs> All right. Well, last month we we did a very popular episode on the Living Seas, and we received a lot of feedback um, and a lot of uh, additional information. And uh, the the first thing we want to actually play this for you. We received a a voicemail um, from uh, Joe from Orlando, Florida, and he listened to the episode, and he had something really interesting to say about the scuba diving as well as the – the, the tank in the middle where we t- talked about where the diver would go in and rise up through the tube. Hi, this is Joe from Orlando, Florida. I just listened to your episode uh, on the Living Seas, the Deluge, and wanted to uh, give you some additional information uh, that you might not have known about. Um, I've been scuba diving uh, or have scuba dove a few times in, in the Living Seas, and some interesting facts about it are that 
the uh, aquarium there has perfect visibility, meaning that you can see from wall to wall without any obstructions, which at 203 feet, I believe, is uh, further than anything you would see in nature. Uh, if guests are lucky enough, they sometimes can see hidden Mickeys that the scuba diving workers will create out of the ro some of the loose rocks at the base of it. Um, these aren't always visible to the workers, but if you have the opportunity to, to do the dive quest program, you can see them there as well. Um, also, the uh, diver lockout chamber, uh, when you're on the tour there, there's actually a stairwell uh, that's off stage that takes the diver from the first floor up to the top of that chamber. And I believe that chamber only fills with fresh water, and it's not connected to the main aquarium in any way whatsoever. Um, so a diver will actually be on the first floor, walk up a, a small staircase, go into the top of the tube, descend, and then uh, ascend from there as well. And one last thing to mention, there is a, uh, an acrylic chamber that's at the base of the aquarium that is pressurized to one atmosphere. So if divers get tired, they can actually go into, enter into it from the bottom, uh, take off their mask, and they can breathe normally and talk normally. This was actually featured in an episode of Full House uh, many, many, many years ago where Uncle Jesse and Uncle Joey broadcast the radio show from inside the living seas. And I think there was a, an additional gag there of them being afraid of the sharks. But in reality, if you're scuba diving there, the sharks are actually very timid and more scared of you. The one creature you have to be worried of is the dolphins. Um, if you look closely next time you're in the living seas, you'll notice that the area where the dolphins are have a, uh, a, a series of thin poles that block the dolphins off from all of the larger sea creatures. And it's because the dolphins are very territorial. So when you're scuba diving in there, you're warned not to go anywhere near the dolphin enclosure uh, because they will attack the the, um, the the bars that separate them. So surprisingly, the most dangerous uh, creature in all the living seas are the dolphins. Um, and my time there was uh, great. And I just want to say your podcast is fantastic. Um, I hope this information helps out. If, if you want to um, add it to your to your posting, please feel free. And I look forward to hearing the next episode. Thank you. Bye. All right. Well, that's really interesting information that, that the water in that ascent or descent tank was was uh, not salted. And the, you know, obviously, if they got up top, they just ran across. Um, did anybody go and look up the Full House episode with Jesse and Uncle Joey broadcasting from the bottom of the tank. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I saw they and then they uh, somebody got engaged or something, didn't they? In the restaurant episode, yeah, 23, yeah. There was, there was this whole Full thing. House. They were, they were in the, uh, the episode was titled "The House Meets the Mouse Part One," and that's the obligatory show on ABC that takes a trip to Disney World and uh, and such. But yes, Uncle Joey and uh, Jesse broadcast from the from the bottom uh, in scuba gear, and there's. People, as JT pointed out, there's people getting uh, in, engaged uh, in in the coral reef restaurant. So, kind of an interesting uh, little thing. So, but um, yeah, uh, awesome, awesome uh, voicemail, Joe. Really appreciate it. So, thanks, Joe. All right. So, we also received some information about a swimming dog and a swimming Mickey. Now, we all see in the promotional shots and and for the living seas that there's this shot of Mickey underwater, and uh, it's my understanding that they did that a lot of times for promotional stuff. Um, he may still come out for, for special events. Um, anybody have anything else to add to that? And then how you know a little bit about the dog, right? Yeah, so uh, I didn't get to mention this on the last one, but for the first year or so, there was a dog named Che that was part of the dive team. So again, that whole trying to integrate animals with uh, 
with the divers working as a team. They they actually had a dog and it had a, a specially designed mask. Oh, come on. <laughs> no, seriously. With an air what? tank, it could swim underwater. I, what I did kid it you do? not. Did it, did it hate it? I mean, it couldn't have liked that. No, I bet. Assumably, the dog was trained to do this and it was perfectly fine with it. Interesting. Now, go back to the Mickey. Is that a special Mickey you know setup or like is it just like the one that you would see you know on main street and they just threw a helmet on him and he jumped in i would not know the details simply you can hide a scuba tank under there somewhere and put your big head on just like you would any place else right and that's right yeah i guess that's true yeah, it could just be a, yeah. i don't know how often he comes out either too well, somehow you'd have to be able to see through there too right yeah or would it be the same costume that wore you know like water skiing mickey JT, you have your calling for the next episode. Yeah, go f- yeah. go find go out. For it. I will go, go digging out. around when I'm down there. <laughs> I know that if you remember, they did have those uh, those pretty groovy uh, communication systems where they could actually talk to the divers underwater and they could talk back. Oh, really? Which was the first time I think anybody had really seen that. So yeah, so a host could stand in the uh, in the main room and actually talk to the diver who could hear what they were saying via radio and actually respond oh, cool. back on a microphone. So they could hold conversations. As breaker, part of the breaker. Show. Yeah. <laughs> hey, good buddy. <laughs> <laughs> We've got two more for the living seas here. Like we said, folks, these just came fast and furious this month. Um, Russ Stringer wrote in, and he's a former cast member at the Living Seas. And um, if you guys remember, I thought there was a, a grouper uh, named. Um, uh, I think I thought it was Oscar, but it turns out it was a um, a fish uh, by the type the type of fish is a Jewfish. And uh, he was there. His name was Orson. And uh, so I wasn't going crazy. I had the O correct, but it was Orson, the Jewfish. And uh, so he was indeed there for for many years. I did not see Orson. Long long gone. See, what's funny is there was an animatronic giant Jewfish in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and Horizons. Uh, Russ also mentions that the tank has been drained. And in the past, I've had some serious issues with the filtration system. So... We didn't. We have to. I'd like on. more info on that. Where yeah. did everything go? Like we said, where'd the word Orson where go? Yeah. And the last comes to us from uh, Kurt uh, Shamala. He has uploaded a Living Seas TV special to YouTube, and um, this was when it uh, just after it first opened, I believe. It's got some great footage of the of the old original Sea uh, Base Alpha, and. Um, I think how did did you you give it a you you gave it a watch right? I I at least got to see some of the opening stuff uh, yeah. before he had posted it. It does look like an awesome special. Like yeah. they they do a lot of behind the scenes stuff. Uh, it's got some music. Uh, there's a section in it. Um, talk about your eighties. So there's a section in it uh, with Simon Lebon from Duran Duran where he talks about uh, his capsized yacht when he was doing the racing <laughs> just as part of the theme of the sea and I believe they uh, run the video of Rio <laughs> oh they do from the band yeah and then there's also a song oh there's a song in it which is kind of dreadful by oh, is it Laura Brannigan <clears throat> well how's <laughs> thinking this whole thing is hosted by John Ritter too he comes down the dive tank in, yeah. in the beginning and uh he comes he, he he comes down and then cuts away to a scene and then all of a sudden he's dressed and dry. It's kind of odd. <laughs> the magic of television editing, which if you want to know about that, you can visit the MGM studios and tell you about editing and the magic of television. There's some uh, Bob Ballard footage in there too. Well, young young Bob Ballard. 
I was right. So, oh, yes, it was a uh, it was Laura Branigan, and there was also was a cameo Branigan. appearance by Olivia Newton John. Whoa! Can't get much more eighties than this, kids. No, it's it's totally <laughs> great. So we'll we'll post the link uh, to that uh, in, in this month's episode uh, show notes and everything. Thanks, Kurt. Yep. Thanks yeah, that's awesome, Kurt. Thank you for doing that. So tons of living seas stuff, um, but we still have more. Um, JT, what was that? The road in somebody something about the booze cruise, right? And retrofitting the boats. Um, yeah, the restroom issue, right? Is yep. Where we're at. The, uh... It was Christine Fox. I think they're from the Divas Dish Diz podcast. Yeah, she said they resurrected the idea and they may have been fitting, uh, boats to add bathrooms. I, I don't know that's, um, you know, confirmed or not, but that is interesting at least, you know? Yeah, we'll have to see if that... So this is in reference to the old booze cruise idea that we had mentioned a number of episodes back where the turning the ferry boats into, uh adult beverage party barges so to speak but love a good party barge yeah Yeah. she also (laughs) mentioned that uh her husband uh did a lot of work on disney property and they were he was the lead on demolition of Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea and um what was crazy about this is they have two of the big lava rocks in their home landscaping from Twenty Thousand leagues so we're going to seek you out very yeah. nice yard art for sure i'm going to rent a long flatbed with a crane if you hear I how big it is like do you think it's like basketball or like, like gotta be interesting but, but, rocks. Exactly. yeah <clears throat> we're uh we're, we're coordinating with christine about being on her podcast too that's right so. yeah so Keep an eye out for that. So Divas Dish Diz, Diz podcast. podcast. Yep. So thanks, Christine, for that. And now we are officially into the segment of listener mail. So we're going to turn this over to JT. You know, he had to, the mailbag was so huge, as you know, we all we all took a little bit this month. But uh, what else do we have in terms of comments and other things coming in? All right. Well, you know, this this was a tough month. Lots to sift through, lots to uh, to go through, look at, all that stuff. The first one I have is from Reese. Uh, Reese, first off, she wanted to know, and this is a good question because we do get asked these a lot, um, these, these generational questions, I'll call it. I want to know if we're doing a show on Muppet Vision 3D. And um, I have somebody want to take that because you guys know the... I'll let Brian take that because he responded. Oh yeah, that's right. Too yeah. We we will eventually do a show on Muppet Vision 3D. I had a conversation last year with uh, a puppeteer um, who worked with Jim Henson on the pre-show uh, that runs in the in the in the queue while you're standing in there waiting to be let into the theater on all those. Uh, different interactions from the screens that are overhead. So uh, I want him to come on the show and tell that story, and he's going to tell us that story someday. Uh, And uh, we are at the 25-year mark just about now, I think, with Muppet Vision. What did it open, a year after the park? Yeah, it was 25 around, years I, ago. Yeah, oh my yeah. Gosh. So, so we will do it uh, because, of course, we love the Muppets. Sure. Uh, and uh, so, stay tuned. I think that'll be on the on the docket either 2016 or 2017. Yep, absolutely. All right. It opened wow. in May of 1991, so it is Jeez. officially 25 years old. Yeah, well, it's 25 years old this month. Happy birthday, Muppet Vision! Yay! Yep. Yay. Last month. Last, last month. month. So. 
Um, Reese also mentions, and this is uh, I know about this. It's uh, there's a, she says there's a tree. If we're asking, if we're aware of it. It's on the uh, in the water, basically right as you're kind of rolling up to Fort Wilderness to past River Country, and there's all kinds of shoes hanging in it. Who has seen this? Anybody? Have you guys seen this before? I have not. I but have I, seen this. Brian, you have you seen and I this. Saw so this together. We're going to have to add this to a specific tour, but go ahead. Tell us yeah, a little bit about it. Yeah, um, you roll past River Country. Say you're heading towards uh, Fort Wilderness. Discovery Island's on your left. River Country's on your right. You go past River Country. There's a tree that's basically growing out of the water. Not really, you know, I mean, it's probably shallow there, but covered in, um, we'll say, like, gang-style shoes thrown over <laughs> the uh, you know the telephone wires, but it's thrown at the tree. And they're all white shoes tied at the shoelaces. And the the myth or the legend or whatever say is whenever one of the boat captains or somebody retires they take their white boat shoes and they tie them together and throw them out there and that's why all the shoes are there and they're definitely there you can see it it's kind of uh i almost want to say eerie especially at night when you roll by there it's kind of creepy but in the daytime it's kind of cool looking so that's right yes yeah how and i actually got up close and personal with it uh on okay. New, Year, New Year's week, yeah. Oh yeah, let's share a water sprite or something and roll over. There. <laughs> no, we had a we had a fireworks cruise on Seven Seas Lagoon and Bay Lake, oh, and they took us all it. around. And you know, when you have a uh, a Disney uh, captain steering your boat, he could take you right up to it and shine the floodlights on it. And aye, so we got, he got how almost got close enough to snare a pair of wildcats. No way! <laughs> Look, at that. Look at that. Now, what kind of boat was that? They did. did you guys take the Grand One or? No, no, no. We, we took we took a ten we took a ten passenger. Uh, um, you had to row it yourself. Oh, yeah. the pontoon. Yeah, we took a pontoon boat. All right. So that was Reese. Thank you, Reese, for that. We appreciate that. That was a, a good uh, good email there for sure. Last one. Chris Miles wrote us, and he uh, he's a younger listener, and uh, he you know he he just kind of like gave us one of those uh, you know thanks for doing the show. He you know takes him back to stuff he didn't know about. And uh, he wishes he could have experienced it the way we talk about certain things. So thanks, Chris, for the kind words. We appreciate that. And uh, that's all I got for Listener Mail this month. All right. So, JT, tell them where they can find us, and that will wrap up this month's Listener Mail. Uh, for emails, contacts, anything you want to tell us, uh, podcast at RetroDisneyWorld.com. Uh, send us a tweet, Instagram message, Facebook, anywhere you want to find us. We are there. Let us know what's on your mind. Right. So with that, we are going to move on to the Audio Rewind Puzzler. We have a lot to give away this month, too. So don't forget, last month we actually were giving away two prizes, right, guys? We had the uh, uh, the episode 19, which uh, Brian was giving away the two all-star, was it music and sports mugs? Um, the they were movies. They were well, more they movies. Were, I'm sorry. Movies. Movies. They didn't say all star movies, but they, it was all movie stuff. Movie stuff. So, those are we're going to give those away in a second. We also have the uh, George and Tony Entertainment Show uh, podcast uh, T-shirts. We're going to be giving those away uh, for those of you that listened to episode 18.5 and identified uh, the ending uh, segment of that show, the music there. So, um, let's go through that one first too. So. The first winner we have is uh, he actually he and he wrote in to us is Scott Marchino. He, he wrote in and so congratulations. Uh, you get to get the uh, get that uh, T-shirt from the George and Tony Entertainment Show. And our second winner is Joel Wartgo. So congratulations, you guys both receive the T-shirt from the George and Tony Show. All right, 
And before we get to the winner of this month's, why don't we uh, take a listen to last month's uh, Audio Rewind Puzzler. All right, guys, did you get it? Who got this? No, I, I've heard this, but I don't know Horizons. That's well, you yeah. just gave it away. <laughs> I know, but I'm yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we did not have as many entries this month. Only seventy-five percent of those who wrote in actually uh, got it correct. But the correct that's answer, a good good guesses though. A lot of good guesses. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the correct answer was Space from Horizons. It was uh, kind of a uh, the, the background music. Uh, when you th- went through the space t- scene where they're assembling a space station, but uh, really from the album, uh, the Epcot Center album uh, that was that was distributed in the mid '80s, that's kind of where uh, that song kind of stood out as one of the short pieces on that film on that uh, record. It was a I remember buying it as a as a uh, LP, and uh, it, it's I think they added that it stayed on some of the park CDs for a while, didn't it? Now I remember, yeah. Well into the 90s. So uh, so anyway, we do have a winner. Congratulations to Tom Yoder from uh, Royal Oak, Michigan. So congratulations. You'll be receiving the, the, the mugs from Brian. So we'll get those out to you. And we have to add uh, a couple different prizes here. Guys, we have the prize pot and we need a prize for this month. And with that said, we had a very nice listener write into us. Joe Lanza wrote in and said, I've got some prizes for you to use in the uh, audio rewind. So he has sent to us two mint condition. And I say mint, these are spectacular looking Disney newses, news magazines from winter 1984, 1985. And let me just tell you, they are chock full of awesome, awesome mid eighties photos, um, little quizzes on match that tune. There's some, some Disneyland stuff. Howard Johnson's Hotel Tower is in here. And I, I don't know if you guys knew this, but um, did any of you ever buy the Walt Disney ceiling fan? It was available in 1984 for $299. So another interesting thing in here is just how much do you think, guys, a all right, let's compact car, national car rental, 1984. What was a day unlimited mileage? This is economy. Chevrolet, Chevette, or Simon. Twenty dollars. What, what what was the question? The the rental cost per day for a economy car with national car rental in Orlando. Eighty four, uh, right? So this was back before rental mama. It was probably like rental grandma, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> this was when OJ was pitching. <laughs> so we had isn't. we had the choices between economy, compact, mid size, full size, and Another full size. I'm Jumbo. I'm going to say nine dollars. Nine dollars per day. I'm going to go twenty. Twenty, Brian. Unlimited mileage. Um, Eighteen dollars. You are all have bid too low. Thirty-one dollars per day, which is the equivalent of about seventy-five now. Yeah. So the next time you rent a car in Orlando and you're complaining about thirty-five dollars a day, the the full size Ford or Buick Century is similar. Uh, netted $41. All right, so the winner of this month's Audio Rewind will receive a copy of this uh, Disney News, and we're also going to add it to the prize pot. Now, JT, what is in that prize pot? We've got 
the list is huge. It's getting bigger, and I need a new piece of paper here. That's the thing. Um, first thing, we have an Orange Bird yo-yo. Next is a World of Motion brochure, a golf resort golf bag tag, an Epcot salt and pepper shaker set, a Disney World glass candy dish, the Tomorrowland manual, and currently the things you just got this month. What yeah, is it the called? Disney, the yeah. Disney News. Yeah, from Disney 1984. News 84. That's Disney a News. huge prize pot. So how do you win the prize pot? Well, all entries to the Audio Rewind um, whether they are correct or incorrect, are entered into the big drawing for the prize pod, which will be drawn in December 2016. And um, let's take a listen, though, so that you can enter to this month's Audio Rewind Puzzler. All right, if you think you know the answer to this month's Audio Rewind Puzzler, so send your answer to podcast at RetroDisneyWorld.com. Uh, all entries should be received before July 12th, 2016. And we'll announce the winner uh, randomly selected from all correct entries in the July episode. So, so the, uh, the prize pot, if you think mm -hmm. about it, all these items, we're only six months in and we're yeah. only halfway there. Yeah, and it is any email, right? Like any email, or does it have to be guesses for the audio rewind only? Your guesses for the audio rewind, whether okay. they're correct or incorrect, will be entered in there. So we've said this before, but you could guess like you know, purple banana, and that would count it as a would, guess. It would count as a guess. Yeah, get you okay. an entry. And that is every month you get an additional entry for every time you guess. Every okay. time you guess, you're in. So wow, makes sense to get take a stab at it, and you never know, you may win the win the prize for that month too. So can we actually get oh, a yeah. purple banana to put in the prize package? We could. Yeah. <laughs> I will look from the uh, blue mayonnaise aisle in the store yeah. and see purple bananas. So, all right. Well, thanks to everybody who, who wrote in uh, for the audio rewind. But um, it's time to move on now to our main topic. And this is about America on Parade and uh, how you are going to roll the clocks back and bring us back to the mid-70s, a time of patriotism and bicentennial parades everywhere in the United States and well most theme parks did something as well and Disney wasn't going to be excluded so they put together a rather interesting parade that has had some uh, complaints and some some nice things that had some nice things said about it as well but uh, tell us a little bit about how let's roll back the clock yeah and some lasting side effects too I think That's true. <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, so, America on Parade, I think, is one of the most blissfully bizarre things that the Walt Disney Company has ever done. That's putting um, it nicely. It's weird in a 1970s way, like the Muppets are weird in a 1970s way. Um, I think it's the parade that'll remember as much for its giant sandwich being chased by a mustard container as it will for its patriotism. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and we actually have some uh, some film footage of America's yeah. on parade to share with everybody, right? So, correct. There'll be a link in the show so you can sit down and, and take a look at this thing because it's it's really kind of fascinating. So we have, uh, the, we have the day version and the night. Version. Oh yeah! So we got both. Yep. Excellent. Awesome. Yeah, and that's that is one of the things they actually ran this parade twice a day: one in the daytime and one at the nighttime. And when they uh, they took away the electrical parade, and then when this parade was over at night, um, then they would do the fireworks because that's that's American. That's right. Um, so in uh, 1973, the U.S. government actually created a committee 
to encourage and coordinate bicentennial events across the entire United States. It was called the American Revolution Bicentennial Administration. That's fancy, isn't it? Uh, and ultimately responsible for a lot of things that we remember about uh, the bicentennial area. So like the bicentennial quarter, uh, that bicentennial logo that you saw painted on the side of the vehicle assembly building mm-hmm. at NASA for years and years. That was all right, done right. under the auspices of this thing. Um, they were huge. Uh, there was a huge 4th of July thing. There was like a tea party reenactment. The Queen of England came over. There was just a whole bunch of stuff. So, uh, And all of this actually worked. Uh, by 75, America was actually in like a huge bicentennial frenzy and people were super excited about this i don't know todd you're old enough to probably kind of remember i i do remember i've got I even have some film of bicentennial parades i attended when i was young of with all sorts of things going on flags everywhere and yeah it was a uh, quite a time yeah i mean my family would they actually uh besides going to disney which we always did in the springtime it's like we got packed up and in the summer we went to philadelphia in 76 to go see independence hall and touch the liberty bell because you could get around it then and do all that stuff so thanks for not stopping to say hello <laughs> <laughs> i'm like how old were you then were you even I was born? two you're two i was two i didn't yeah. i didn't know if i would have known i would have done it um so uh not to pass up the opportunity Disney decided that they wanted to ride that wave of publicity in a way that Disney Disney does so well. So they did a couple of things like opening America Sings in Disneyland, which is all about America and was a great Mm -hmm. tie-in. But their biggest thing was uh, was this initiative by the Parks Entertainment Division to create a 15 month promotion around America on Parade. And when I say a 15 month promotion, the same way that they do wishes or any of the other like big advertising promos, America on Parade was actually that big advertising promo from 75 to 76. So this was everywhere. Um, It was in fact the linchpin of their entire marketing campaign. So they had a TV special starring Red Skelton there were books, uh, picture disc records, lunch boxes, puzzles, license plates, glasses, uh, and you can find a lot of this stuff on eBay still. Um, it was on the cover of the guidebooks, and even the cast members got America on Parade like name tags uh, for that time period. So, I mean, Jeez. this was hugely important for them. It just seems like yeah. this little parade now, but... What's the difference between a record and a picture disc record? Oh, so. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's a good question. So uh, so back in the olden days, and of course they're doing this now too, I think, uh, <laughs> instead of just like a black vinyl record, they would actually take a, uh, like a, pic- like a full four-color printed picture and put it underneath the vinyl uh, and press that into the record. So when you looked at it on both sides, it had like four-color artwork on it. Oh, and the needle could touch the side yeah. with the picture and still play. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, all right. Yeah. All right. I, I had a Superman one that was that it was round, but it had it had the logo of Superman on oh. on the record. Yeah, yeah. There was also cool. a musical souvenir of Walt Disney World record that was done the same way too. Um, so it was. Oh it was, yeah, yeah. I've seen yeah. that. Okay. Um, so uh, so this was a big deal to them. They were really betting the farm on this. Um, so the parade was produced by Disneyland Entertainment's director, uh, Bob Yanni, and it was designed by a Tony award-winning uh, Broadway set designer named Peter Larkin. Um, and allegedly the production team 
uh, spend a year doing research on this, trying to figure out what the best way to present this would be. So I, I don't know how much of that time was spent at the Tam O'Shanter or how much of it was actually done doing legitimate stuff, but like they really apparently put their heart and soul into this. Um, the parade was about 30 minutes long, consisted of 50 units. Um, each float and parade element was actually created in duplicate because there was one version made for Disneyland and one, major, uh, one version made for Walt Disney World. And the work was so massive that they actually had to split it up amongst multiple vendors uh, for the construction. And the construction on the, on the parade units was actually done by like different people across the entire United States. So uh, it was a heck of a lot of work. Um, some of the parade units were as tall as like 30 and 40 feet and were actually engineered to be able to raise and lower uh, in order to get through backstage areas, particularly at Disneyland, where they had all kinds of weird, uh, weird bridges and things they had to deal with. Um, and the basic idea of the parade is that it would be a birthday party for America. <laughs> uh, and the, the large scale, uh, like the hugeness was chosen for this because they apparently wanted it to appear as if it was all through the eyes of a child. At least that's what they said. So, well, um, that kind of starts to explain things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, and, and then because of the large floats, uh, the characters, which were called the people of America, were created uh, at a large scale to to go with those large floats. So they designed and built these eight foot tall characters, uh, kind of like gigantic versions of the small world kids where they were all fairly generic, kind of like stamped out of fiberglass. And then they would decorate them with, you know, different hair and different costumes in order to make them individual. Um, so I, I wonder if them being tall was this idea that you were looking up from a small perspective of a child, you said. So was that why they were tall? That you were, you know, you were a small child looking up to these things that were so grandiose and large. Exactly. And so even the yeah. adults would feel as if they were children. They're children. And, and all the, the proportions of everything was skewed too, like the whack covered wagon and stuff. Was right. Oh, everything wacky. was gigantic and everything was kind of like wacky off perspective. It's a, yeah. when you go look at the pictures of it, it's the design is, like I said, it's weird in a very 1970s way. <laughs> um, and uh, today you see a lot of pictures of the parade out of, of out of context or not of order, but there actually was kind of a set order that the parade went to. Uh, it is supposed to tell the social history of America rather than sort of like the historical uh, version of America, uh, because they didn't really want to get into like wars and things. So you see the same problem we've talked about, uh, like Hall of Presidents and uh, the American Adventure and, and how do you kind of tell that history thing? So right. they wanted to get away a little bit from just like a straight history thing and sort of discuss, you know, the growth of the country, the inventions that we had, the entertainment that we came up with and uh, less about like this thing, that thing and the other thing. Right. Um, so the parade opens with what I think the designers hoped would be sort of the iconic float. Uh, Mickey, Goofy, and Donald uh, on a takeoff of the Archibald Williams painting The Spirit of 76. So that's the thing that we've all seen where there's like a flag in the background and one person playing a fife and another person with the drum. Uh, and they were on a giant snare drum with like this enormous eagle behind them. Um, the the first glorious. section... What's that? Very glorious. Very glorious. And and that was used for the logo and you you'd see that in uh, the pictures and stuff. It's, that was probably the, the thing that they hoped would be the icon rather than the sandwich. <laughs> uh, the first section was called Discovery and Settlement. It had a large float of Columbus's ship as he sailed looking for America, uh, a giant turkey being pulled by pilgrims, 
So for you Turkey Lake fans, that's probably where this all started. Um, a Pilgrim House interior and a really, really weird float devoted to Pilgrim punishment. <laughs> so you, you may have seen this uh, tweeted out in the past month or so. It had a guy in like a stock on the back and the front of it was a, a guy on a big liver like um, pushing this woman like up and down out of a giant kettle. Like I don't know if they were testing to see if she was a witch or something. But she sways over. as much as a, a liver or a lever. <laughs> she looks like one. Yeah. It's really strange. Throw it into the pond. <laughs> they oh, did this Full snows. <laughs> That's an Going awesome flow show. Python and the Holy Grail. If you haven't seen yeah. it, folks. Um, next, the next section was called the Making of a Nation. Uh, it had a mobile version of the Liberty Bell, cannons, a marching band made up of the scary people of America, and the floats focused on a lot of colonial buildings. Uh, there was a thing of like Ben Franklin on a rooftop flying the kite trying to discover electricity, uh, a version of Independence Hall, uh, and the, the one that probably sticks out in everybody's minds was this uh, giant float of Betsy Ross on a rocking mm-hmm. chair sewing the American flag. Um, after that uh, was a section called The Making of a People, and that chronicles our Western expansions. It had riverboats, like a full-blown, like full-size, sort of like deconstructed riverboat, uh, plus people on uh, sort of like uh, river rafts, um, Conestoga wagons, teepees, uh, a full Western town, uh, and the so showpiece. Awesome. <laughs> the showpiece was uh, all this stuff. Yeah, that's I mean, true. You they know, probably had a big they must have built the, like a big parade building for that yeah somewhere uh and the centerpiece was kind of like two uh railroad engines pointed at each other uh one went right. backwards and one forwards and that was supposed to be about driving the golden spike uh-huh, connecting yeah. the east and west railroads and they, there was actually like a walk around character with a big hammer and a spike <laughs> <laughs> i love these characters they're so funny looking oh yeah and then that took you up to the victorian era and then the last section is called the making of society. Uh, so that focused on America's achievements in inventions like the telephone and the phonograph, the electric iron. So there was a giant electric <laughs> iron, uh, a light bulb, and then also what we did with transportation. So there was this massive float that had a Wright Brothers airplane up at the top, sort of connected to an ocean liner, connected to a, a car and a locomotive and a biplane. And at the end was like a sort of like this weird like silver missile rocket where that an astronaut would hang out of and wave to people um there was also a a a float based on sports so there was like a reference to football baseball basketball uh tennis and golf and the weirdest section of the parade was (laughs) devoted to american snacks and the food and and we do dedicate this section to michael crawford progress city usa who who tweets photos of these parade floats probably about once a month just to remind us yeah. of how odd they are never forget yeah so there were uh giant donuts and ice cream cones and hamburgers and lollipops that the characters would carry and then floats of uh of a banana split like a giant uh, box of popcorn with popcorn the, the coming popcorn out of the box top. was cool because they had kernels like popping out of it yeah you know, on, yeah that was on cool. these wires and stuff and the hot dog alongside yeah the hot dog where the driver the was yeah it's like a hot dog sidecar <laughs> <Yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> and then, uh, and notoriously, this enormous Dagwood-style sandwich, like, piled up 30 or 40 feet. Um, With the accompanying condiments. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There and was, there was a, like, a little mustard float and a little relish float. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could see this. Like, is there an odd chance I could bring it back? I would love this. It was, and that's as a kid. I I remember I got to go see. Uh, I think we traveled twice to Disney while this ran, and, and we would. I think the first time we probably saw the whole parade, and then the second time it's like we ran into the tail end of it. And I remember being like, I don't know, let's see, so seventies. I would have been like eight. Well, just staring at this thing, like, what the. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, watching watching some of the film here, uh, the the characters. So people, you gotta remember that these they're what eight feet tall, right? How about yeah. eight feet tall? The the people inside them are looking through the necks, and they're they don't have gloves on. They're using their real hands. So all yeah, the proportions are wacky. Arms. So you know what it reminds me of? Do you remember Kristen Wiig's character from the Saturday Night Live? <laughs> Short arm lady. Yeah, Denise <laughs> uh, Marahal was her name on the, the, the Lawrence Welk show. It's kind of like that level of creepy. <laughs> it reminds me too of like that combined with Team America marionettes. Like oh, it's, yeah. <laughs> like they have that like same like wobbly like upper trunk type thing going. Yeah. So those were the characters that would later get made into new versions and were used at Epcot Center uh, for the characters that would meet you around World Showcase. So they didn't get no. to use the same ones, but they rebuilt them using those molds. So, so the ones at Epcot could blink. Did the uh, did the ones in America on Parade have the working eyelids? That's a good question. Yeah, I have to watch I'm not the sure. film closely. Yeah, so so how many? I mean, you know, you watch the parade on the film here, and it's just these these creepy characters. They just keep coming. It's like a nightmare that won't end. So there were a hundred and fifty of them made for each parade. So there were a total of those three hundred creepy things crawling around somewhere. That's crazy. In, In fact, there were so many characters in that parade they could not hire enough people to staff the parade as hourly workers. Mm-hmm. So they actually set up like work study programs with the high schools in Orlando and in the, and in the Anaheim area, and they had high school kids come in for dual credit of uh, of high school class credit, and then also like they got paid something probably not the same as a regular performer in order to staff that parade during the course of its run because there were just so many characters in it. So two credits for gym class, ninety degree weather outside, carrying <laughs> heavy costumes. That's about. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. Thanks, Disney. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so characters. So Disney characters finally did appear in the final section uh, of the parade, uh, representing pop culture. So the three little pigs and the big bad wolf were inside of sort of like this giant film frames with sprockets. Um, Winnie the Pooh was in a big TV with rabbit ears, uh, and the jazz cats from the Aristocats. We're up on this sort of like record player with a platter of records, um, which probably makes no sense to you. If you saw the picture now, you'd probably wonder like, what is that weird thing? (laughs) (laughs) But back then there were actually these devices that you could stack on your record player. So you could have like six or seven records stacked up. And when one record was done, it would drop down and play the next one. Brilliant design on the record player. I remember those. There's one float that's devoted to the circus and it says America, the greatest show on earth on both sides. 
uh, and Dumbo's in the middle of it. There's like a monkey and a fez riding a unicycle. <laughs> and Boom. this kind of like weird sort of sexy furry looking fox like on a trapeze. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> that one is a little a little much. Uh, and then sort of Somebody like the familiar Disney job. characters uh, like Mickey and Minnie and such were on these uh, sort of these giant uh, hot air balloons that were rolling down the street. And then the very last float before it went away, just to like give you one more punch in the face of America, was uh, <laughs> one of those giant head things uh, as a Statue of Liberty and a giant head Uncle Sam, uh, like on this enormous golden eagle with a shield. And so. big ribbons and dr- standing on drums. I mean, yeah. yeah. The, the flash is flash for time watching the film. The flash, flash is going off as that <laughs> thing came down the street. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's just overexposure america (laughs) now when this was running it did the daytime show now like at night did it replace um what was the electrical pageant that night yeah and they ran it i i also i noticed my 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 grandparents took uh we have some of this film from my grandparents um because it started running in 75 right right late Mm -hmm. late 75 and it was running the opposite direction too. Um, I think they run, ran it in both directions. It would go down Main Street and also come up Main Street too. Oh, it because might have they, been such a pain to try to coordinate it going back. Yeah, just, they have the footage as it coming um, through Liberty Square from from t- Frontierland and making that turn right in front of the Liberty Square Tavern, um, and then and, and continuing uh, you know down that way in, into uh, towards the castle. So. Uh, yeah, that it, and and actually, in um, I'm looking at some of uh, uh, David Coolidge's footage that we have online, and it is indeed he's shooting it from probably the front of the Emporium at at this town square, and uh, in the background you can see the train station. It's coming around in front of the train station towards the uh, the firehouse. So. Yeah. Definitely, it definitely ran in different directions. And even though it was a night parade, it was not self-lit like the Main Street Electrical Parade. There were just like these giant floodlights that they put up and down the parade route to like shine big lights on it so that way you could see it at nighttime. Do you see I, the one in our video here? It's uh, the guy pulling it is just like some guy on a tractor just dragging one of the floats <laughs> down. Like he's not a character either. Just it's like Clem got on his, his MTD yard machine and started dragging it. <laughs> <laughs> Might have been a breakdown. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, but it's—I mean—it's nothing fancy. Just a guy. Now, how I, if you're going to mention here, but the, this was also kicked off on a TV special too. Yeah, the, yeah. Monsanto Night presents Walt Disney's America on Parade, hosted by Red Skelton. Red Skelton, because yeah. he's more relevant than Red Skelton. <laughs> <laughs> and right now, everyone is just saying, "Who is Red Skelton?" Yeah. <laughs> I like and apparently there's a number of people, Francine York, John Arvan, um, Basil Hoffman played himself. <laughs> the kids, kids of the kingdom. I don't know who that. That's supposed to be the kids of the kingdom. Oh, yeah. it's a type wrong. It's a typo. Right. Following up on our discussion of the large characters, I did find my note on this. Uh, Steve Taylor was the source. Steve Taylor was the second individual to play the Dreamfinder at Epcot. Worked for Disney for many years. He worked on America on Parade. And he says that the Epcot Center dolls had eyes that moved. The America on Parade ones did not. And they were definitely not the same stock of dolls that were pulled out of mothballs that that they made new ones for. 
stock of dolls. So we have so we have it straight from the Dreamfinder's mouth. So there are still three hundred America on Parade dolls somewhere else. Just out hanging well, warehouses. By what he nooses. said was after fifteen months of daily, twice daily use, because they did it at night too, <laughs> uh, that they were not in the best of shape when they finally retired. It, and no one would actually want to wear one of those masks after fifteen months and then six years in storage. You know there has to be one sitting around somewhere. Like just I'm sure there's more than one. There's there's wow. photos which I'm if if it's not in part of the stock that we have, it's like I'll make sure to put in the photo that's in what in one of the books of just like this warehouse with like the heads just no sitting there. It is the creepiest thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Um so the one last kind of distinct part about the show was the music. Um so uh, it was mostly made up of American standards, uh, folk tunes like Yankee Doodle, Your Grand Old Flag, Take Me Out of the Ball Game, that stuff. But after the success of the synthesizer stuff in the, uh, the Main Street Electrical Parade, they wanted to make sure that they did something sort of unique and different uh, with the music. So uh, someone got the idea to use uh, a band organ as the main musical source. And uh, for those of you who still frequent Disneyland... Uh, uh, and if you were a sort of like a old timey, uh, Walt Disney world, uh, visitor, uh, used to be able to always find, and you can still find in the, uh, arcade, uh, on main street in Disneyland, a band organ, which is this large machine that uses kind of like a piano roll type thing. And it's got a bunch of pipes and actual musical instruments inside. You put in a quarter and then it runs sort of like this music roll thing through it and, uh, it blows air and like through the horn sections and actually like plucks strings on instruments. So it's this uh, huge sort of mechanical music making machine. Hmm. Uh, so it could sort of simulate the sound of a small orchestra, uh, but it was self played. So think of it as like a giant player piano with like trumpets and drums and banjos and all kinds of crazy stuff on it. I remember seeing that. Why do I remember seeing it recently? It, it didn't. Well, there's a couple things. Didn't it was in main street station. Wasn't it? How, uh, I want to say the Emporium. I do was not. The Empor- re- oh, I'm not sure. I yeah. just I, I remember seeing it. So I can uh, tell you uh, at Walt Disney World there was one inside of the uh, the Penny Arcade. Okay, for, for many years. Um, Walt Disney World for some reason actually owned I want to say like six or eight of them for a really long time, and occasionally when they would do conventions and things, they would actually bring them out in the hallways outside of the convention and set them up for people to use. Uh, and I want to say there's also a really big calliope that was part of the collection that's on like a horse-drawn carriage yes. that they will bring out from time to time. I have footage of that one going through 1986 or so coming through. So what I do not know at this point, and if someone is out there that, that knows this, um, it could be tied in into this because it, it was an actual it was a huge collection and when they closed the penny arcade they actually sold off like a lot of the penny arcade stuff and a bunch of these band organs that they had sort of in storage so uh i don't know if they purchased them uh prior to the park opening or if it, it became part of when they bought the band organ that they actually used to record the music for america on parade um so Apparently, whoever was in charge of picking up the music listened to a bunch of albums of band organs, and believe it or not, 
this was actually a real thing. <laughs> when, <laughs> when I used to go uh, like diving for old vinyl albums and like people's garage sales and at uh, like Goodwills and things, I would constantly come across these LPs from the 60s of like recordings of band organs. So they listened to a, a bunch of different ones and they decided what they wanted to use was this band organ called Sadie Mae that was uh, at, I don't know if it was a theme park or what this thing was, but there was a thing in uh, Sykeston, Missouri called the Gay 90s Village. And it had, I guess, a whole band organ collection. Uh, so... So they bought this band organ, broke it down, uh, moved it to Nashville, uh, put it back up, and uh, did the recording for America on Parade, like, at the Grand Old Opry in Nashville. And they also videotaped this using the cameras for the TV show. So you can actually mm -hmm. go on YouTube and uh, watch the recording session for this. So I'll, we'll post a link to that out so you can see what that looked like, which is, which is pretty strange. Uh, the band organ was actually built in France in the 1800s and it was used on a carousel in Grand Rapids, Michigan for a lot of years. Um, and the really weird thing about this is, so they went and picked that band organ and said, uh, this is one that we want to use. They, uh, of course wrote music. They actually wrote their own arrangements for this show. So it was original arrangements of, of these folk songs. And then they discovered that there was only one guy left in the world that actually knew how to make the piano roll styled music books in Antwerp, Belgium. So they had to pack up all the charts uh, for the music that they were doing and ship it over to Belgium and have them actually like hand cut the books that were used for this. So they went way, way out of their way in order to put this thing together. I, I have a Disney band organ story. Uh, one of the, at one time, uh, a band organ, uh, circus-themed, uh, is in a museum not far from here called the American Treasure Tour, not far from where I live. It's about uh, Actually, JT, right where we were last year for RetroCon in Oaks, the American Treasure Tour is there. Oh. It is this gigantic warehouse, and when I say gigantic, I mean gigantic, uh, and some wealthy benefactor who loves to collect things. Uh, began this museum, uh, which is really nothing more than a warehouse where this stuff is all displayed. And it's anything from, I can't even describe it. I'm going to have to send pictures, tweet pictures and post pictures in our article with this so people can understand what it is. But just imagine if you had a, a garage full of curiosities. Uh, he had. There's a band organ in there that was purchased by Walt Disney and displayed at Disneyland. And it is circus themed. And at some point, Disney got rid of it and it eventually came into this guy's hands. And it is sitting 20 minutes away from my house. So I've seen it in the museum. Uh, they, on most tours, they actually strike it up and let you hear it because it's one of their showpieces. Uh, so that is the fate of one of them. I don't know if it ever made it to Walt hmm. Disney World or not. But Interesting. Just, yeah. 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 I know um, one day I happened upon the like results of the auction from the sale uh so they didn't say where any of this stuff ended up but presumably this collection was scattered across the four winds uh and it's really i mean to me i really feel the shame because I, I spent a lot of time in the penny arcade so uh you know i saw saw that band organ 
and a lot of the mutoscopes and a lot of the old uh, arcade machines they had in there. And it was, it's, it's a shame that that stuff is all gone. Uh, so, uh, so they use the band organ, Sadie Mae, and they also combined that <laughs> with the sounds of a Moog synthesizer. Uh, that was played by a guy named Don Dorsey. He was the guy that sort of worked out the whole computer control track system. The floats themselves would actually broadcast part of the music out to speakers externally. Uh, and at the same time, a backing track would play behind it that would come out of those speakers too. Uh, and it was done uh, in a very crude fashion. It's like he would time it with stopwatches and try to work it out. And it was it was pretty tough. Uh, but later on, he actually devised a computer system that would do the same thing uh, and keep everything in sync. And they actually laid, uh, I want to say, like wiring or something underneath uh, Main Street. So that way they could actually keep track of the floats positions as it went. So uh, so he actually invented this whole uh, music synchronization system that is probably still used in some form of the parades today. And I, and I want to say he still consults on a lot of parade stuff for Disney. I mean, think about it too. How difficult that is! You got all these floats. You need the music timed at the right time. It's not an easy task by any means. Oh, it it would be, I'm sure, a cacophonous mess. Yeah, if you, if you didn't have <laughs> some kind of synchronization. Yep. Pretty so cool. that's so that's it. That's America a lot of on history. Parade in a nutshell. And there was also a book. Remember the America on Parade book that came out? It was a hardcover book. I have a copy of it somewhere, but. Um, I can't remember if I got it, but it is available on Amazon for starting at 39 cents if anybody wants to pick it up. <laughs> there um, were a lot of those. There was a hardcover version of that. I have yeah. a softcover version of that. There's a sort of like a 24-page well, booklet. going to set booklet. you back 271. Uh, there's also a, uh, like a little golden book where Donald and his nephews go to the park and see the parade and then through that actually kind of like travel back in time and have some little experiences within like the time periods of the pilgrims and stuff. <laughs> and, and these, these books were not just distributed uh, at the parks. They weren't just souvenirs. These, right. these were published and available across the entire United States. Right. So, Random house publishes. It's 143 pages. It's amazing. That's a lot. It's a lot, lot to it. It's a lot of America. Yep. Well, some of it is about the parade, but a lot of it is just kind of like history lessons, too. Right. Yeah. Um, just a little background on everything. Yeah. Interesting. So well, take I that, hope. Festival of Fantasy. You think you're so <laughs> special with your fire-breathing dragons and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Hal, for taking us back to America on Parade. So uh, if you guys have any questions or any of our listeners have questions, feel free to email us at podcast at retrodisneyworld.com. Um, so let's move on to our, our t-shirts and merchandise. So how, uh, last month we had the, the, the hydrolator shirts as well as you had a, you had another one that you made too, right? Yeah. The Murphy and Delaney hydrolator water elevator company. Water elevator. Company. Yeah. Explain right. that to me. What is the, I didn't get it. So, so, uh, as we discussed in the podcast, uh, Murphy, Murphy, forget his first <laughs> name, Murphy. he said, we got to have a hydrolator instead of an elevator. So then Tim Delaney, the the designer, uh, took that idea and actually turned it into something that was real. So, uh, so they okay. get dual exactly. credit uh, for coming up with the idea and then executing it. Yep. I like so, the origin story behind your designs. I feel like we should like, it would be cool to have a postcard with the shirt, you know. like when you- Yeah, we're going to have to do a, a page on our site that explains all these and we'll have to add that in as we that build the new site yeah it's kind of fun to, to pay tribute to the people that actually like worked on yeah. it 
stuff. And where is Murphy and Delaney? Because I wish they would see it and then be like, oh, I want one. So, uh, <laughs> so Tim Delaney still, oh, he, he freelances for Disney still from time to time. He was actually a big wig with Imagineering for quite a few years. Hmm. Uh, but I think now he's freelance. And, and Murphy? Uh, oh, actually, I found him. He's in California. I want to say he's in California and he does gourd art now. Where, really yeah. gourd art so he takes gourds yeah and then them like hollows them out and like carves the outside of them with decorations <laughs> took quite the fall from designing <laughs> an entire hepcot attraction to gourds I, but hey we do have a shirt named after him so yeah <laughs> don't don't discount the gourds i will not so yeah. how do you, do you have a design for this month so for this month uh yeah it's the fourth of july uh, and so I want to go a little retro Epcot. And uh, yeah. if if any of you happen to remember, there was an exhibit in Communicore uh, called Visit the Manufactory, where you would <laughs> put together an American flag using what? like, yeah. oh, JT. Oh, well, young cub, let me tell you. <laughs> like fabric, like Susan, you know, Betsy Ross or whatever that is. Sort of. So using the crude touchscreen uh, technology oh, that we okay. had at the time. I there go was Epcot. a game, and uh, what it was is in the center there was kind of like an assembly line, and then off to the right hand side there were like pieces of flags. So there'd be like a blue, the blue part, and then like the red and white stripes, and then the stars. And as the square of the flag that you were making would move up, like into position, you had to like touch the like blue part and then touch the place where it's supposed to go and then touch each stripe and like put it into the correct spot as the oh thing boy. was like slowly mo- so it's kind of like space invaders in reverse so instead of it coming down it's like you would go up and then <laughs> you'd put the pieces in place and then he's trying to have kids do assembly lines they just love <laughs> yeah. that concept of this is what your life could be it's right oh right. That game was actually fun compared to the one where you had to like sort luggage and try to put it on That's a right. aircraft. The right one. <laughs> before that was that was the most frustrating <laughs> game ever. Now we're getting into a Communicore episode because I've got to remember the one that took the picture of your face and then scrambled it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right, so how so you've got one from from, from the manufactory. Yeah, so we're gonna do a, a Fourth of July assembly one based on uh, based on that touch thing. Great. So you can find all of our merchandise at retrodisneyworld.com forward slash support us. And uh, anything purchased, the proceeds go to continue this show on the air as uh, well as help uh, set up our, our event that's uh, coming up in uh, November at Destination D. Uh, also, as we talk about proceeds are used for different things. And in light of all the different events that have been going uh, on in Orlando, um, there's no need to, to focus in on those any an individual. We all know uh, what's been going on down there. It's been a, a rough week for them. Uh, so uh, some of the proceeds here for, from the sales um, will, will be donated to different funds and campaigns that have been set up to, to help those individuals. And uh, how you've got some stuff going on as well. Yeah, so uh, on my personal site, um, I have an Orlando t-shirt. Uh, if, you, if you jump on my Twitter, uh, go away green, uh, you can find a link to it. Uh, I did a t-shirt uh, from Orlando or like for Orlando using the uh, the fountain in Lake Eola. And we're doing a fundraiser with that. 100% of the, uh, the profits for that are going to uh, a couple of different uh, GoFundMes to uh, 
to try to help out the the families of the victims uh, from the shooting. And then there was another group of uh, five designers uh, that I'm included in. Uh, four of them are England uh, designers united against hate. Uh, we've got a bunch of t-shirts. Uh, each designer has picked one land from the Magic Kingdom, and we've done a shirt uh, for that. And uh, and those proceeds, again, 100% of the profits from that are going to go to... Um, I'm going to try to help the victims of the shooting. So um, there'll be a link to those in the show notes as well. So you can, you can find that stuff. Yep. So for more information, follow along at uh, house Twitter at go away green and uh, proceeds uh, from the retro Disney world merchandise at retrodisneyworld.com forward slash support us. All right. And along those lines, you're probably saying, well, okay, what's going on at destination D, but the retro Disney world crew, all four of us will be there at destination D uh, November 19th and 20th. Uh, at the Contemporary Resort, and uh, we do have something special planned. We have a uh, just uh, we'll give you the title now, and details will come out in the next couple months. But it will be the uh, Retro Disney World uh, Lake and Lagoon Tour. So oh. yeah, keep uh, keep your eyes tuned to Twitter and Facebook, and uh, we'll announce things there. We've got some teasers coming out now and then, so definitely follow us uh, if you want to be. If you're going to be down there, you're probably want to set aside an afternoon to join us on on this little crusade or cruise i should say so crusade crusade i accidentally did it on purpose the retro disney world podcast is sponsored by ticket mama for all of your orlando area ticket needs visit ticketmama.com for less than gate prices and by rental car mama when renting in orlando visit rentalcarmama.com for discounts at advantage rent a car and other firms and by OrlandoVacation.com, vacation homes and discounts for the savvy Florida traveler. If you're interested in sponsoring the Retro Disney World podcast, please email us at info at RetroDisneyWorld.com. So, well, thanks as always to all of our listeners. Uh, if you can give us a re- review on iTunes and a shout out wherever, or any review, we greatly appreciated. If you have any questions and comments, feel free to write to us at podcast at RetroDisneyWorld.com. Uh, and we'll see you next month. So uh, with that, Brian, take us out. Follow Todd McCartney and Retro Disney World on Twitter and Instagram at RetroWDW. On Facebook at Retro Disney World. For all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at RetroWDW.com. On Twitter, you can find our producer, Jason Bartell from Deepwater Studios at JasonDWS. Our announcer, Andre Gardner at Andre Gardner. And follow our hosts, Hal Bowers, at GoAwayGreen. For JT Couser at LS1JT. And you can find me on Twitter and Facebook, at Brian P. Miles.